0: All right.
1: Hi, I'm Drew. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am a general pediatrician with a large practice in transgender medicine. And I am a gay man with a child and two dogs. And I'm married.
0: And I'm Lizette. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am the mother of a 13-year-old trans youth. A small business owner, a member of HRC's Parents for Trans Equality Council, and I facilitate Families Transformed here in our local community.
1: And this is I Stand By You
0: with Lizette and Drew.
1: Together, we talk about allyship,
0: building community,
1: and showing up for one another.
0: Welcome! Welcome! Okay. Good morning, everyone. I'm super. Good morning. Exci- I'm super excited about this podcast because we have M Lane on. Woo! Yay! <laughs> we're we're doing an old school conversational, sharing stories and allyship together. And we're excited to have M on here. They are a librarian.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And they are the president of the Southern Arizona Gender Alliance board. Do I say board? I mean, does, you're just president, right? Well,
2: I think I'm just president of the board of directors. That's what it AJ is. AJ is more like the face and head of the organization.
0: I, was, I always tell Drew I'm bad with titles. I try to remember them. <laughs> Do you want to give us a little intro about you, M?
2: I mean, um, from I've listened to a few episodes, so I guess people usually say they're like identities and stuff, right? So I'm, uh, I'm a librarian, I'm a dog dad, I'm, <laughs> um, I identify as queer, I'm white, um, I identify as fat, and uh, I'm transmasculine. And your pronouns? Welcome. Oh, well, my pronouns are they, them, or he, him.
0: But okay. I prefer they, them. Perfect. Drew, you said welcome, right? I said
1: Thank welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we all haven't had our coffee yet. Maybe. That's what's happening.
1: Hey, you know what? I have a question. Mm-hmm. And this is actually about the librarian thing. Why do okay, you cool. think there are so many queer librarians?
2: it's really interesting. I mean, I think that like one of the things I like to say about, you know, specifically about me being a public librarian is that like I had it I wanted to find a way to help the world. That was like sort of steady and I felt like I never had to be evil and I could give things to people for free and my values in life around access matched up so perfectly with, um, libraries. And I think that lots of queer people, um, I know tons of queer people that have found like solace in books throughout their life, including myself. And sometimes that's like the Mm -hmm. only place you see your identity as a young person. Um, and And then that kind of married with like sort of the political nature of queerness, right? And like libraries are have that air to them too. They're like a great equalizer. Everyone who comes into the library, whether you're like two years old or 102 years old, you are have the same value. And so, I guess I always think that like maybe there's a lot of queers that that you know have that same kind of um, political leaning, but. I also will say that I have a really hard time finding trans public librarians. (laughs) Like, I try really hard in my—I mean, I know that me and uh, Brandon are are both work both work for the library and are trans, but like as far as trans people, um, I you know do presentations and um, go to conferences on a national scale, and I'm like always trying to find specifically public librarians that are trans, and it's really difficult. I've connected with like two wow yeah, but there's tons true. in archives like i know tons of queer people who do archives in museums and academic libraries mm. um and I, it might have to do with harassment i mean it's really hard to be a public librarian sometimes
0: yeah and, yeah, then, um, and then having to face the public every day right With questions. yeah that's
2: again. exactly that's what i mean by harassment it's definitely been like my experience has gone from um you know i transitioned on the job um And my colleagues have always been really, really, really great. I think that I've just kind of struggled sometimes with – with customers and um depending on and and the public and sometimes facing like a higher degree of harassment and then also like as i've transitioned now i experience harassment like i was read as like a lesbian like a butch lesbian for a long time and then something switched and i think that maybe for a period some trans stuff came into play but i actually think i get harassed now as like an effeminate gay man um much more if i'm in a like a a situation with
1: someone being rude (laughs) it's it, that that one is so wild to me i have a, a bunch of my patients who that's the biggest slur against them um at this point in their transition is the number of times they get called fag and they're yeah. like it's they're, and and one of them was telling me the other day because you know it's really a little difficult for me to get too upset because it's so off base <laughs> He's like, if they only knew anything, they would know how crazy that slur is for me.
0: (laughs) Daniel Daniel gets very upset with that word. It's really interesting. Well, because Daniel identifies as bisexual and he's a trans man. And so he's like, no. And he (laughs) tells all his friends, like, he has some friends on Xbox that finally know that he is trans um and just we'll be we'll have long talks with them about why that word is so like is not okay. So it's yeah. really interesting to hear him talk about that. I also heard him yeah. talk about how body shaming is not something that he stands for. That was a long <laughs> conversation the other day too.
2: That's <laughs> so good. Oh, it's there's um you know, not to be like that guy that's recommending a book, but there's an author, um called Thomas Page Maccabee, and he writes about trans experiences, and um, it might be, you know, I would definitely, like, in a few years, I think Daniel could re- read about him, because he ta- he does talk a lot about, like, the construction of masculinity, um, and he wrote a book called Amateur, and it's all about he became, like, an amateur boxer, um, but part of that was because he faced an increasingly, like, it's it one thing my whole life I've been a, like this is probably the least visibly queer I've ever been in my life like since I was a teenager mm-hmm. but um but the harassment I faced just getting yelled like on the street just like terrible things at you about like you know your sex life or your genitals it has changed now to to situations that become like mm- bodily dangerous. Like if I were, if someone were to threaten me on the street, I would be afraid they would hit me a lot, um, a lot more than before because of the way that sexism like plays into our society. Right. So it's okay to hit a guy. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of like that book, Thomas Page McAbee, he writes a lot of stuff about that, but he, he talks about times where he like had, like he got robbed and then like people it was just like it all had to do with challenging his masculinity when people were harassing him like when he would get into physical confrontation and he would literally just be walking or like taking a picture of something it wasn't like he was doing anything and they'd be like do you take a picture of me you want to square off like, like just like being like bombarded with toxic masculinity in a way that you like never did before when you live like as a trans person
0: yeah. <sighs> yeah so really quick Em and I met at Camp Born This Way um we yeah, have this was prior to your transition um no um, kind of
2: yeah it was prior to my me- more of my medical stuff but i think when we met i was on
1: on tea, just oh,
0: okay. like starting okay i'm
1: sorry when does transition start yeah, yeah i guess that's the question <laughs> too favorite. like when does it happen
0: well yeah, not that well, and- but like you're right it's my
1: favorite a- with transition and, like, the the points on it is that in um, for government documents, you have to write whether someone is in the process of transitioning or if they've completed their transition. Oh my and I'm always like, what does completed your transition mean? Like, I don't think I've completed any of the transitions in my life at this point, and yeah. so why should someone else have to define when a trans- a quote-unquote, transition of their gender is complete. It's it's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I apologize yeah. about that. Oh, uh, um, it's okay. I, I thought, mean, it's, it's been
2: a year has, like, the last six months have been, like, five years, so it feels like...
0: That's you know. what I was going to say. I met you three years ago. I met you three yeah. years ago, and it feels like I've known you forever.
2: Yeah. And there's definitely. been a lot of
0: changes, I think, in, in both of our worlds, like, because yeah. everything shifts and changes, and, like... um and yeah. so I remember meeting M and at that point I had been part of the parent community for that was my second year but I hadn't gone to camp the year before yeah. and M was just like super like amazing like we had a I think what I always appreciated about M is that they they were so open to being like to creating a friendship um and so like and I think M you're one of those people that like, there's no, like, surface conversation. We, like, jumped right into deep conversations. Yeah, um, I remember we
2: had some, like, pretty big convos right away, which yeah. that's, that's how I like to roll.
0: <laughs> and so uh, we were just friends, like, at that point. Um, And now we're on the soccer board together. But I know that dealing with, like, family dynamics and all of that hasn't always been easy. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about, like, early M, like, teenage M? you're from Tucson yeah. as well and kind of share what that was like.
2: Sure. I mean, I, I grew up in a really religious, like conservative household. Um, we were like evangelical born again, Christians. Um, so, you know, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at five years old. <laughs> um, and I think that set a tone for like huge portions of my life. Um, I, you know, as far as like my gender and sexuality i um always knew both of those things um, but I had like zero representation in my life, so I was just really really um you know i'm thirty five now so um I just think growing up in the like late eighties and early nineties and through the nineties, there really wasn't a lot of representation, plus if you're from like a really religiously conservative households um there just aren't lgbt people around um so i think i had a long journey to like understanding myself completely um and like drew like what you're saying like i don't know if you ever really understand yourself completely i think that's one of the interesting like philosophical questions that yeah, trans people and our existence make other people uncomfortable, right? Because we're like, well, you're never really done, and what is finished, and <laughs> who are you, and, <laughs> and all those things, right? So, um, so yeah, so when I was a kid, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of, like, uh, LGBT stuff, so I didn't, I came out of the closet. Like, I mean, I struggled. I had a lot of moments when I was a kid of, like wishing that I had like different genitals and all these sorts of things, but like, just like absolutely no words for that whatsoever. I think especially like transmasculine experiences, like there is like nobody, um, in media. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, I think that I, uh, I, I understood that to mean that I was like a lesbian when I was a teenager. Um, I thought, I actually literally like remember saying this as part of my like coming out to myself and understanding myself was that like I, my perception of my gender was X, Y, and Z about like, you know, about like basically picturing myself as a boy and and, and wishing that I was a man and, and all these things and like, and that vision of myself that was in my head. So like, I must be a lesbian <laughs> again because yeah. I just didn't have words. Um, so I didn't meet my first, like, trans person until I was in college, and um, and I met, like, a couple trans guys in college, and that was really wonderful, um, like, to see them, and I really came into understanding, like, masculine identity, and, well, getting, like, a gender studies degree, and I moved, like, to the top of the state in Flagstaff, um, partially to kind of, like, escape, like, the sort of, like constricted environment that I was in. Um, but like even the trans guys that I met at that time, like to give you an idea of like how far we have come in such a short time, I would say like the last 10 years of medicine and drew like backing up if I'm, (laughs) if I'm, but like (laughs) there was no access to hormones, like when someone lived in Flagstaff, like, so I met these guys and they just really struggled. Right. Like, so they were binding, they were not on hormones. Um, and so like everything was really, really hard, really hard. Um, And that felt really hard to me. And so I think I just decided to like hunker down into like making do with my gender being the way that it is, um, for the way that it was like, just like sort of like everyone can see me as a woman. I can see myself, my intimate partners, my friends, they can see me differently, but like, I'm going to just like sort of exist in this way and like make do because I'm like exceptionally good at making do like my personality is good at that. So, um, I kind of did that for a long time and, um, and into my twenties because then I started my career. I mean, I think I just made like a lot of different excuses about like respectability and like what I needed in order to further myself as like a first generation college student in my family. and like trying to make my way in the world and professionally and, and going forward, I just sort of like kept being like, well, I can fit mostly in these, into these things. So I'll keep, I'll keep doing that. And, um, and it wasn't actually until I was really involved with camp born this way that, um, I met all these kids and I really understood like, Oh my God, this is so revolutionary. I had, you know, I had had this like internal concept of my own gender and was like fine being in this one place, but seeing all these kids who, um, who were me when, when I was little Mm -hmm. and, um, it was just mind blowing. Like it, I'm having chills, like even saying it right now. It it helped me so much to see parents and children um, supporting each other and loving each other and like helping families through that, through those processes. um, To the point where I felt like, you know, I was going through like a lot of different life transition at the time, and like getting a divorce and all these other things. And I was like, I just really need to like be true to myself in this time where I like. And able the most to be true to myself. And so that's when I started started coming out. And that was like, probably like coming out wise, like maybe like six or seven years ago. Um, But then it took me a little while to figure out wanting to do hormones and wanting to do surgeries and things like that. Um, Just navigating all those things took me a little while. So I've been like medically
1: transitioning for
2: four years now.
1: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know what's- inter- you know what's really interesting with what you're saying um is so it's one of those like the more things change the more they stay the same is mm-hmm. number one is that in flagstaff unless you're at the university um it is still really hard to get medical care um mm-hmm. and it's true in a lot more rural areas of the entire Um, I mean, most of the places that are doing any, you know, a level of trans medicine where they get enough experience that it gets access, you know, those whole things that kind of roll together and snowball to get bigger and bigger um, just don't exist in a lot of those areas. And it is still true here, Um, although at the university, they do have care at student health. Um, The other thing that is really I there's a whole group of transmasculine people who come out in early high school who their parents either say, A, yeah, that was no surprise at all uh, because look how he was presenting all along. Look at this. And then there's the other group that are like, my kid's been this like out proud lesbian for years. Um, And so I don't get this at all. Like why wouldn't they have figured out their gender identity? And one of the real problems is the level of visibility for trans masculine people is still so low. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of the things I love about when you talk about going out and like talking about the library is Mm -hmm. that there can be people who see you who suddenly are like, Oh, wait a second, there is an option that's what I've dreamed about instead of just what I'm settling for.
0: I think, too, the part of M's story that really resonated with me, because you see this a lot in parent communities, is that that seems so hard. Can we exist in this ambiguity? Right? Like, I've gone online, I've researched as a parent, and this sounds terrifying, how can you count? How do we exist in ambiguity? Right. Like, mm-hmm. um and so I think that many trans youth will fall in that, in that gap for a moment until it becomes like, I, no, we have, there has to be some, some forward momentum, you know? Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that. Also, like, there's a couple, like, social things that come into play, right? Like, I think misogyny is really part of it. So, Mm -hmm. like, um, a trans femme person can't sit in the middle as comfortably. No. um, Yeah. Because someone who's, um, you know, assigned male at birth, like, there's so much... Uh they just can't. They it's it's very, very, very difficult in life for them to do that because they're gonna face so so much harassment and inquiry into like who they are okay. unless they kinda like come out and are like mm-hmm. I'm bi- this is a binary thing and you have to do it and they hold people to those standards, you know. Um, and then also the same sort of misogyny and like misogynistic culture for transmasculine people in that a lot of times we're raised to be very obedient.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I think that like it's it's a thing that 's taught in people to like sort of quell your own desires,
1: mm-hmm.
2: especially if someone's struggling so much with their identity that their self esteem might be in a lower place than another person then it 's hard for them to even like stand up for themselves about this thing against a tide of like cultural Um, nonsense that says that women or people who we perceive to be women need to um, need to be quiet and obedient
0: and that even pushes back towards like religious colonialism right Mm -hmm. like the expansion of that of being obedient and and assimilating easily in whichever form that is
1: i will also say
0: when i talk to because a lot of times you know you'll hear why is it that puberty hits and all of a sudden they're like, I'm a boy. Right. And I, and I often say, because a four year old, a a one, two and three year old in a dress, a boy who's assigned boy in a dress at three turns four and five. And all of a sudden it's not acceptable where like tomboys can exist in our culture and in our social structure for a lot longer. Um, because so, even with my
2: yeah, that's what happened with my family. Like I, I have been dressing exactly the same since I was like seventeen, eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. Men's clothes, nothing. You know, like very, very, very little deviation. You would think that most people would think like, oh, well, then this makes sense when I say that I'm coming out as trans and I want to, you know, I'm going to do these medical things. You would think that people would say, oh, okay, that's in line. But it's like people want to find any excuse to like. So it's like, well, you were. You know a masculine
1: lesbian for so like why can't you sit there it's the same the same thing
0: you're like no it's not not the same thing yeah of course Uh, interesting though too is that like you know i often will say like even as a progressive person i still had my own gender bias so it's really interesting that drew what you say is like well my child has identified as lesbian and this intersection feels uncomfortable yeah.
2: yeah well i always say that i had like an inner turf like that's what i was fighting against the whole time like a trans exclusionary <laughs> radical feminist I is that like i had to like do battle with this like turf inside of me that was like how come you can't just expand the box of woman to fit you instead of having to transition right like I would just constantly be like in an internal little battle with myself about about like about was I being a bad feminist or what did that mean to my ide- ideology because feminism was the first political ideology I came to to know as a young person and so I had a lot of attachment to like girl power but not being a girl what does that mean you know
1: yeah it's amazing I've heard this I have heard a, this from a lot of. Um, friends of mine who would talk about their I mean, about how their evolution, which actually maybe evolution would be a new word for this we use instead of transition, um, and and definitely that feeling and it's something that I think the whole the trans exclusionary radical feminist mo- movement quote unquote doesn't understand is the number of people who transition who go through exactly that struggle of wait a second, am I just buying into the patriarchy here? Um, and, and then realizing, no, I'm not, this is me and who I am. Um, -hmm. but it's not something that goes without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So much thinking.
0: (laughs) I mean, that (laughs) was part of our journey too. Like I, I've shared this openly that I was like, there's nothing wrong (laughs) with being a girl. I really thought like the patriarchy has taken over my kindergartner <clears throat> and he's being told that girls suck and doesn't want to be a girl. And so uh, I thought I was doing right by being like affirming girl power. And Daniel would just stare back at me like, you clearly do not get it, lady. Like, at all. <laughs> you know, so it was like this blank stare with lots of blinking, you know yeah
2: <laughs> and it's just like so much care thought intention money goes into transitioning that like that like sort of turf ideology is just it's like it's so wrong it's not so easy and like as a person who wishes my transition would go faster and i'm sure Drew, you have one million stories about people being like oh my god i want to hurry up and have a beard it is not that easy and not, it takes yeah. years
0: <laughs> so I was every the-
1: every eight-year-old boy wants a beard
0: oh my gosh and Daniel was just telling me was just telling me about what life will be like when he has a beard um when I was in DC a few years ago we were doing um we were in a congressional hearing with Joe Kennedy and some other congressional and senate leaders talking about trans youth and trans rights and the importance of the equality act um and at the same time the heritage foundation had flown in like all the major turfs from britain what i forget her name because i always want to call her parker posey but i think i don't know what her name is Ah! what is her name
1: not it's not parker posey
0: it's Posey something Sorry, Parker Posey. It's not you. You will always be the ultimate librarian. Um, yes. but I forget, um I forget her name, but it's like Posey something. I think it's Posey Parker that it's the reversed. Um and so she heard that we were there, you know, the parents were there, and um luckily we got scooped up in an Uber before all of these trans radical feminists. Whatever they're called, turfs came in and like harassed Sarah McBride and the parents, and they got really aggressive. And I just kept thinking, if Daniel would have seen that, he would have been so terrified (laughs) by these women who were yelling that we mutilate our children and like we have Munchausens by proxy. And so, yeah, we missed her by like by a few minutes, I think. I'm so glad. I know, me too.
2: That's why but it was yeah. like, captured
0: on video. It was really interesting. So yeah, they're scary. It's, scary it's interesting in the sense how they like say committed. that you
2: abuse their children, but it's like, okay for them to scream at your children. They're, like in front of your children. And scare them.
0: Well, luckily it was all adults. Daniel was the only little <laughs> oh, okay. person. Okay. Yeah. Daniel was the only little person, but I think he would have been afraid. I think, I yeah. think that, um, you know, it was really interesting to, it's very, always very interesting to hear marginalized people really want, who are, who really push for marginalizing somebody else. Like yesterday on Twitter, it was like, I stand with JK Rowling was trending on Twitter. And I don't know, it's just, it's a really interesting movement. It's really interesting to hear how. Affirming families are spoken about. Um, yeah, Jose was really like horrified when he read Twitter and was like, The people are calling, like, saying you have Munchausen's by proxy. What is that? And I was like, It's that thing from The Sixth Sense. Remember, the mom kills the kid. <laughs> and he was like, Did you? Oh, he was like, I had no idea this was being said about you. And I was like, yeah, just don't read Twitter. I don't read Twitter. But it's really interesting to hear how they are tied to, like, really tied to a belief system around why supporting trans youth is so wrong. But I think about how, like... But I also think about how much I was like, Daniel, there's nothing wrong with being a girl like that was my my call for years. You know, I would find I would buy like books on like incredible women, like kid books, you know, and he's like, um, oh, good books. show him videos like I was like, there is nothing wrong with being a girl. So I think it's just like really interesting that we all buy in at some point. Whether well, you're liberal or conservative or whatever, we buy into the gender binary.
1: Well, and Lizette, yeah. you also talked about how you were very reassured because you were like Annie Hall. You
0: oh, You could yeah. wear Annie <laughs> Hall clothing. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I want to be sporty, Mom. And I was like, Spice Girls, Sporty Spice. <laughs> and he was like, can we buy them in the boys section? And I was like, okay. Like, it just wasn't fun for me.
2: When I was a kid, I remember like I was like maybe six years old and we were getting new sneakers for school and all I wanted was white Converse um, and I wanted like them from the boys section and I remember asking my mom and I mean, bless her heart, she was like, she did let me do it and it was like this thrill that we got to go to the sports store because it was like Converse, I don't feel like they were as popular so they like we had to like find them and um, but then she came home and she just she like put fabric painted
0: flowers
2: all over them <laughs> Oh <gosh>.
0: well, <laughs> like, you know, it's so to girl them
2: up for me. And it was like the, I was so sad. I just remember being like six years old and being so sad because I just had this vision of the shoe that I wanted. I was
0: it's really interesting because i encourage daniel to like masculine jobs if he wanted to so like Uh i have these photos like our my neighbor growing up was a firefighter
1: Uh and when
0: daniel daniel was going through like i want to be a police officer a firefighter whatever like all the typical boy things right of that age like being five and six right So he had a costume and everything and we would take him to like the children's museum and that's what he would put on. And so our neighbor was like, I can take Daniel to have like a tour of the fire station and it'll be so much fun. And my mom was like, Oh, this is going to be great. So we, I have photos of Daniel getting this wonderful experience. Right. And like, holding the big hose and spraying things, but he's dressed in, like, the pinkest outfit ever, right? And just, like, the contrast now when I see it and how I just kept gendering him over and over again through clothing. But, like, all I see is his little tiny Daniel face. Like, so the (laughs) smile of, like, this ginormous water hose, right? (laughs) And getting to be on the fire truck. And so... Yeah, I mean, I think as a parent I look back and I'm like, God, I really was holding on to that like girl identity really hard. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So as parents we do muck it up a lot. I'm sorry she painted <laughs> those flowers.
2: It's totally. It's I mean, you know, it's fine. I love my mom very much. It's it's just like for I, I do see that in, in parenting a lot, you know, like parents do. They just you can't help but like just have feelings and opinions and this person you know, you y'all are the closest to each other than anybody
1: else. So it makes sense that you would accidentally project or whatever. That's yeah. just part of parenting. What I will Well say. and there's no there's no guide on how to parent except yeah. for what you've already lived in your own life. Yeah. Um and I feel, I don't know, I feel as a parent most of the time, even as a parent and a pediatrician, that I'm not sure what I'm doing. And it's probably wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said that too. I'm like, those of us that are affirming our kids, we really won't know until like they're 20, 25 and they're writing their own memoirs. And talking about how we destroyed their <laughs> lives, right? Like I, we just won't know.
2: I would wait until they're thirty, thirty-five. They've gone through enough therapy that they can be like, "Oh, it's fine." <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's when you
2: really know. Because all kids, it's just that's the way it is. No. and, and parents, when you have, I mean. I, and,
1: for me, yeah. having my own kid also totally changed my image of my parents. Where I was like, "Oh, you were doing the best you could." I totally get that now.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, and that's how. I mean,
2: I'm not a parent, but I've, um, but I do. I have spent a lot of time understanding that my, you know, my parents had me very young. Like, I was, my mom was 19; she had me, and she really was doing the very, very best that she could with the small amount of resources that she had. It's just. <laughs>
0: yeah (laughs) i also think too that the paradigm around parenting is shifting and Uh there's a more of an understanding that that small people are their own people right Mm -hmm. where like before i think it was so normal to project your own ideas and wishes on who your child should be yeah and so it was like i don't hear your opinion you hear mine kind of parenting right Um, Mm -hmm. and now our kids have a little bit more agency and ability to be able to tell us who they are. I I feel like that's been the lesson that I've learned is that I have to get to know my child, right? Like I don't autumn, just because I birthed him doesn't mean that I know him and that's humbling, very humbling. And so I think that, but it's also like been really cool to get to, to get to meet him. Right. Because there's a world that exists in Daniel that I don't, I'm not always privy to. And I Uh desperately want to know what's happening. So sometimes I'm like, hey, what's going on in your world? And sometimes he's super open to talk to me about it and sometimes he's not. But it's fun when he is. Uh You know?
2: And I think that that's like to me, and you and I have had this conversation with that, but to me, that's the most radical part of parents supporting their trans kids is that, um, like, developmentally, it's not until like, the early teen years that like, and like maybe like middle school where kids are um, moving away and creating their own identity separate of parents. Right. So when, and even that is really hard for parents to come to accept, like that, that's, that this is part of a, like a growth stage for, for their young person. This is how they're going to like be a fully found person if they like reject what you're saying. Um, But when a kid is doing that at five and a parent, leans into that, loves their kid anyway, and chooses to listen. That is radical. It is really, really radical to say, like, at five years old, like, you have this part of you that is intrinsically separate from the rest of our family, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. try to figure out how to support it the best that I can. That's,
0: that's yeah, awesome. There's a saying in Spanish that's, um, how does it go, amor? Like, cada, cada cabeza es un mundo? yeah every head is its own world right and so like I'm constantly like there's been times where I'm just like sitting next to either Jose or Daniel and I'm like you are your own world because I know I have millions of thoughts all day and like you just want to know like I'm like what's going on in there maybe I don't want to know all of it but I'm like what's happening (laughs) it's so interesting um do you find that your parents are Now that it's been, like, I think you said eight years now, do you find that you're able to have more of those conversations with your parents? Do they ever ask, or...?
2: I mean, I don't think I started having conversations with my parents until I decided to medically transition. Um, Because I, I just, like, I tend to just be, like, a more conservative person and a little bit, I think maybe closed off, (laughs) um, in some ways or protective or something. So, um, so I think my parents have had about four years to really like wrap their heads around it. Um, and I think that they have come to understanding. I've had a lot of, um, of, of journeys with, with my family. It's interesting because my parents have both remarried and my step parents are, have always been really supportive. Um, like my stepdad, like knew that I was queer when he first met me when I was like 14 and he basically like prepared my mom for it. Um, and has been really great about it. Um, but like was very, was that person and my step mom, um, same thing, she's really helped my dad through like a lot of understanding. I think um, my family seemed pretty okay when I told them that I was going on testosterone. Um, When I was having top surgery, I think they all sort of struggled. In fact, it was my dad that struggled the hardest. Um, But lately uh, they've been doing really well. Um, They've never been like, amazingly consistent at uh gender pronouns or names um but i know that their heart is in it (laughs) and um and we just continue to have conversations and i i actually think like over the last like year and a half or so um they have really like my mom has been like really into having conversations and like trying to like you know kind of like what you're saying was that like learn about like about me a little bit more and um and my dad um my dad really has lately. It's been it's been really nice. So they they're coming around. They're coming around. I think it's just, I think I you know I, I was in I was like, I guess I was like thirty or thirty one when I told them. So maybe they had just totally different ideas in their head. But <laughs> yeah,
1: wow. Yeah, were you? I have a question. So I talk to a lot of the kids I see about um, how I, I always recommend working with a therapist and it's not because I think they have any mental illness or anything else, but one of my reasons is, is I feel like kids who are moving towards a transition when they're younger spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how do I get to be that guy? How do I get to be that guy? And not a lot of time spending on thinking about who is that guy? Um, did you, does that, I mean, does that resonate with you and have you found parts of yourself, um, as you've gone through transition that have opened up and been different?
2: Yeah, I think I'm in general way more open. I think I had like a very deep inner life with people that weren't outside of my like chosen, like that I only shared with people in my chosen family and, Mm -hmm. um, and like partners. Um, And so I do think that like part of it is that I did like not go down a road of like talking about, um, you know, my I I came out when I was a teenager. Um, My mom had a really big like as as a lesbian my mom had a big reaction to that like physically but like she has come to be fine with it like within like about a year and a half she was fine with it so like, i think they I, they understood it as a sexuality thing and then it just ended there and we just didn't have a lot of conversations and i think that yeah i definitely think that i was guarded and i didn't talk about my own experiences and i i think once i made the decision to medically transition Um, and I was like a little bit more open to having those conversations and just explaining things from those perspectives. We've been able to have like more vulnerable conversations about lots of different things because I am like letting them into my brain a little bit more, um, because it just didn't seem like, you know, gender is like such a vast concept (laughs) and, um, and when you're coming out, I think even to some extent you choose on all levels just like with sexuality and when you're coming out as queer you don't like introduce yourself as queer every time you meet somebody new um and you make a choice right to like say a pronoun of your partner or not or whatever depending on your situation and how you're navigating through things and in that same way i feel like gender is this vast expanse right and like everyone's (laughs) Gender is like a galaxy, not to get like super weird, but it's like so many different things at once. And it's such an individual experience. And so like trying to like unpack that with someone on a superficial level is really hard. And I think that's why we get so into like binary gender identities. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was a girl and now I'm a guy. Let's move forward. Because it's like so much to unpack, right? And so I think like I made the commitment to start unpacking that with more people um, when I decided to medically transition. And it was really worth it.
0: Wow. Daniel has talked about. <laughs> I don't know that. It's really interesting oh. to hear the kids talk like that. Like very much like questioning their gender. Like mm-hmm. just like friends that are not part of like our parent community. Like friends that he met at school. That's like, yeah, they're going to try this on and try that and see what feels comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I asked Daniel like because you had to fight so hard for mom and dad to see it right cuz daniel will tell you if by if if gender's a universe i'm on the other side of the m right mm-hmm. um of the masculine yeah. the male that's where he says he falls is like on the other side of that m dot <laughs> right <laughs> um i said does that like is that uncomfortable because like you really had to push for us to see you you knew for a very from a very young age and had to deal with a lot of anxiety Like, is that difficult for you? And he's like, no. He's like, I'm glad people are asking themselves questions about their gender. And I was like, oh, huh. You know what I mean? I just kind of had to sit with it for a while. Because I I was like, do you feel like it like dismisses your experience? And he's like, no. And so I think he's kind of relishing in this like pre-teen, or I guess they're teens now, like conversations around gender and what does it mean and who are they? that I never had. I mean, I guess yeah. I, I mean, we did have that. I remember having conversations about gender with my girlfriends, <laughs> but it was like it sucks being a girl or like you know what I mean? Like co- those yeah. conversations about where we fit in the world. So, but it wasn't really asking ourselves what does gender mean to me?
1: It was mm-hmm. like gender as a political construct, right. not gender as a as an identity.
0: Right. And so it's just like yeah. really fascinating to hear young kids having that conversation
2: yeah and I think there's a lot of trans kids that are having that conversation too and they're kind of picking and choosing how they share it my experience with like working with a lot of teens is that like even teens who are identifying as you know a more binary gender identity it's like, yes, but there's these all these other parts of me because you're just trying to, you know, what the heck is a binary gender? Yeah. And, like, right. and what falls into what is a binary gender? And so it's like just being like, it's really interesting because I hate to make this whole thing about TERFs, but TERFs, they call them, another thing they call themselves is gender critical. And I think that's like so interesting because like, I'm gender critical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've always thought that. Where it's like, what what makes something for girls and what makes something for boys? And like, and it comes down to like, what do I need to feel best in my body? That's that's really what my transition was about. Was like, what what do I need to envision for myself so that I can feel the best? And I'm just me. I'm I'm always always going to grow, but internally, I'm just the same person. Um, gender's the container, you know. So.
0: I think, too, like, Daniel's grown a lot in in having non-binary friends. Mm-hmm. Because for him, he, like, what he has told me was that he saw himself as so binary, but couldn't be for so long. What he says mm-hmm. is so long, because he's met, like... <laughs> so <long. laughs> One third of his life. <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh, because it took you so long to get it. Um, <laughs> so like it's really opened him up to have that conversation too because his experience has been so different right or like he saw himself in a very specific way Uh, and understood himself in a very specific way so it's even had like he's even learning which I because I think a lot of times too like and that's our own bias to be like to the trans person tell me what being transgender is so I'm really glad that you're like gender is its own like we are all experiencing it differently in this Mm -hmm. like very magical way because even Daniel was like I want to learn I don't know I don't I feel like I don't have the words for that because that was my experience
1: you know, it's also fascinating. If I had a cisgender guy tell me, "Oh yeah, if I looked at the binary, I'd be all the way on the other side of M." Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait. Also, now I feel like I feel like suddenly we're talking to M. Uh, <laughs> I'm on the other side of the universe. There, I would be like, what? "Wow, you probably have toxic masculinity issues." Um. And need to start looking into those, Um, and so it's it's interesting that you can that that you know young people are fitting this like okay yeah I identify as very very masculine, but the things that I identify as masculine are not the same what as what other people think they are.
0: Yeah, does that make
1: sense? Absolutely, mm -hmm. because
0: Daniel. is way more like I would wear pink and like I so gentle and yeah he said he's a soft boy right but like Mm -hmm. his masculine his identity as male as a boy that seems to not waver but there's like different descriptions for what that means so like he was like I think I'm like a soft boy or like that I think that might have changed I I had I was like (laughs) what is that um and so he roll his
1: eyes and tell you to google it
0: no, he wants to have this. Com- well, he comes to me, I think, because we're learning together and I think we've built trust over the last, you know, five years of taking this gender journey. He's like, Mom, do we believe in this? And I have to be like, you know, because I mean? he's like, he looks to me like the like the person that's going to guide him on like what is like just and I'm like, and we'll have conversations. I'm like, I don't know, like let's talk about it. But he'll teach me terminology or ask me terminology, and I'm like, I don't know. And also, too, I think like the new terminology is like very personal. I think everybody is going to look at that as different. I think there's like a main definition, and then they all kind of like vary mm-hmm. um, based on yeah, that's, who you're that's asking.
1: That's what I will. All, I always ask when someone tells me. You know, when I'm asking them how they define themselves is what does that mean to you? Yeah, because you can have 10 people in a room saying, you know, I identify as X gender identity or Y sexual orientation. And it means something entirely different to all 10 of them. Yeah, (laughs) which is what it's like. Oh, people are all different and individuals and we can treat them that way. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: I think I was able to explore my, my, my parents when I was a teenager, let me explore with fashion. There were a couple bumps that were like embarrassing to them. Um...
1: And looking back, probably
0: some of are embarrassing to you. Yes, very much so. <laughs> but that has been, like, the fun part where Daniel's at because he's in middle school. So if he's, like, I'm a soft boy and we look like this, I'm, like, let's go do it. Like, you know what I mean? It reminds me of that meme that's, like, get in, loser. Let's go be a soft boy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's what I think about. Or he wanted to be, like, goth, but it's not goth now. There's, like, a different name.
1: E-boy? E-boy.
0: <laughs> that's what it was. And I was, like, let's go, you know, like, I was like, let's go, you know, be Morrissey for three days. So that's been fun.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just think that younger people are just like more, way more confident about that stuff and understanding it than in other generations. I, It's, it's wonderful. Yeah.
0: yeah. But I think too, like, I think he's able to explore with clothing and likes because he feels affirmed in his gender. Uh-huh. And, and I think that that's really important, like an important takeaway if there's parents listening to this, like that is really important. When kids don't feel affirmed, they're going to stick to, they're going to feel afraid to like explore themselves because they're fighting so hard to be seen yes. and fighting so hard to be supported. So they'll stick to that like very hard um, until you, until you see them. Um, And so I think that that's like been the fun part is that Daniel feels safe enough and affirmed enough that he can wear pink because there was a stage when he wanted to be like an army person and never wear pink and like didn't want anything that somebody could mistake for feminine. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, and that gets and that gets very confusing for parents. I have a lot of parents who say, yeah, we've been going on this journey and like all of a sudden he's wearing nail polish again. And he has this frilly top that he bought in the girls department after fighting to only buy from the boys department and, and it's like, yeah, you made him actually comfortable to be whoever he wants to be.
0: Yeah.
1: It's this okay. is actually it's not this is not out of nowhere and this is not anything to do with, oh, did we do it something wrong by affirming him? It's no, you actually have given him the space. To be to to just be. Yeah. Which is in which is radical. Absolutely radical and inspiring. It really is. It's like
2: truly. And I'm sure to listen to people truly and affirm them is a very radical act. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So gender is I mean, I don't really know what I was saying exactly, except that just like truly listening to someone is um, is a gift, and it's really rare. And um, being able to listen to your kids is priceless. Yeah.
0: Well, and I uh, and I will say, and this is the one thing that I tell parents. And I was having this conversation yesterday. Um, I see a lot of parents, I read a book about it, actually, it's called The Way It Always Is, and I was like super angry, because, um, not to give spoilers, but the book is about a parent journey, it's less about the child and more about the parent journey, Um, and they move, they have a horrible experience, because they affirm their daughter, right, they affirm her, but she's like living stealth, and they have a horrible experience in their town, so they move to Seattle, Mm -hmm. and then they go into, like, a cishet bubble where the child has to be stealth again, right? And there's no trans people in their lives, and there's no adults, trans adults. And I think that the bigger gift is that there are, like, that I've been able to have friendships with M. and Dr. Cronin and so many other people in our community that allow me the ability to learn from you all. So like, I think it's like Daniel has brought me all these gifts. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate you all so much. Oh, hey, I love our community.
1: Can we, can we take a little left turn Okay. away from the affirmingness? I kind of want to know, and this is, I mean, this will lead into some of our, our thing at the end, um, is, um, Right now, so we just have finished the um, Republican National Convention
2: Mm -hmm.
1: where we had um, people um, being blatantly and explicitly transphobic um, on national TV um, in front of however large the audience was. Um, And I'm just wondering when you, um, as, as both of you working with SAGA, Um, what have you seen, just so people can get an idea of what the effects of that sort of thing are on our trans siblings?
0: Em, you want to go first?
2: I mean, yeah, I can say that like, um, a national platform that affirms transphobia leads to violence Mm -hmm. 100%. Um... We've learned this from the last four years of this administration and giving a platform to hate leads to hate and violence. It, it, and we are in a very, very unsafe time for trans people, um, especially trans women and trans women of color and black trans women. Um, yeah. We've already surpassed the murder rate in the U.S. for trans women um, this month. Uh, for all, so we've already more more trans people have been murdered in uh, 2020 in August than they were in all of 2019. And this is rising every year, um, you know, and I couldn't stomach the RNC. I I did. I it tried. I, try, I would try a little bit. I, I saw like tiny bits, but it was so hard to watch that kind of hate. And then also like. Scroll and read about a woman in Philadelphia, a trans woman who went outside to tell folks um, on the street that they were being too loud because she couldn't watch television, and she was literally beaten by a mob. Um, India Moore from um, the show Pose gave a great spotlight to... Just the week previously, um, a group of three trans women who were also beaten by a mob in the street. It started out as harassment, and then they surrounded them. And there was a video, and everyone um, who was initially charged with assault has been let go. Yeah, of that. Um, and so there's just so many like direct, violent repercussions from this kind of national rhetoric that it's just like disgusting. And I can't, that's not even to begin. I'll let Lizette go about the ways that kids have been attacked for being themselves in school and having a right to an education that's free of harassment and an ability to pee during the day.
0: (laughs) I want to, I want to do, I want, I want to do a whole episode around this. I've got to do about this because I think that people do not understand that there is a money machine. There are lobby groups. There was a wonderful piece in Politico, um, there are lobby groups that fundraise around wedge issues and right now they say that the trans youth issue is the wedge issue Uh that they really want to fundraise and make ads about and so when i taught i actually had my my parents read the article because i was like if you want to know why i'm tired like when (laughs) advocacy season which is your legislative season right um Uh uh when that kicks in uh, I'm exhausted. And here's why. Because many of the policies that senators put forth that they want to pass are not written by these senators. They're written by lobby groups. Yeah. Uh, like they use very like specific that. language. Um And so when you say in time it will get better because it's a social issue and we just need social awareness, you're not taking into account that there are millions of dollars being pushed in rhetoric towards you to believe that trans people and trans youth are bad, right? Uh And most of us work in grassroots organizations where we don't have the funding or the marketing money that they do to be able to push back and say, no, we're human beings that are deserving of rights and safety and privacy and all the things that any human being would want, right? Health, shelter, yeah, all the things, right? Yeah, and Saga
2: is, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, Saga is a rare gem of an organization that's existed for over 20 years and has such a small operating budget. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually these like, nonprofits like this don't exist in, in this, culture we live in a world where you know the nonprofit industrial complex is such that it's really like huge federal um non nonprofit organizations that control the narrative and then it doesn't always meet the needs of um a local community and so saga right. has just been like pushing against that tide for a long time and like swimming despite um how hard it is because of the way that money gets pushed around between nonprofits and between these huge organizations that are um, pushing policy.
0: But I will say that we're winning in Mm -hmm. big aspects. I mean, there were, uh, Gavin Grimm just won won his ruling at the Fourth Circuit on bathrooms. A Florida teen finally won his case uh, around bathroom use. Uh, There's been an injunction around the Idaho, Idaho anti-trans athletes bill,
2: um, Supreme Court justice ruling on um, employment for LGBT folks.
0: Can we just talk about that? I, there were parts of that that I thought were, I you know, I went in, I went to, um, I didn't go, but it was a Zoom explaining the the judgment, right, uh, with some mm-hmm. lawyers that do trans youth law. And yeah. they explained that the way that Judge Gorsett wrote that, was like incredibly progressive in the sense that normally what they would do is they would put like the other pronoun in brackets and underneath they would annotate a transgender person. Right. Wow! And that's how it's normally been written. But the way Gorsuch wrote it was he referred to her as a transgender woman and then referred to her in correct pronouns all the way through with n- and never annotated. That's amazing. Right. And so that was what made this ruling even more powerful in the sense that we are seeing progress even in the way in which we're talking about trans people. And now this was revolutionary in the way it was written into law. Right. And so yeah. I'm not going to lie. I cry over all the things and that made me cry. <laughs> I was like, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And Judge Gorsuch yeah. did that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's because
1: life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness are at the core of why this country was founded. And if you have things that affirm life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, they should be fine in this country. Yeah, it really is a very conservative. There's an awful lot of stuff in the whole queer political movements that is very like, no, it's just we want you to live up to the standards you set. Mm -hmm. And we believe in those standards. Yeah. I mean, but look at how controversial something
2: like black lives matter. Just three words get turned. I mean, people just, they twist things.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I agree with
2: you completely.
0: That that goes (sighs) deep into the way racism. And I mean, we have so much work to do as human beings, like not just a country, but like as human beings. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, the fact that the Black Lives Matter movement right now is spreading around the world tells us that around the world and a- in a lot of places, we really need to do the work.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, our entire Western civilization was built off of slavery. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say, yeah, every country yeah. has something to do. There's none that is any better than the other.
1: Right. So, Yeah. Oh, which totally means that it's going to be like, oh, I want to move somewhere else. You can't really actually move somewhere else because those places have their issues also. So you might as well just do the work at home.
2: (laughs) I know. I've always thought that way about Arizona in particular. Oh. (laughs) but It's important to stay here because it's important to keep doing the work because there's so many people that aren't able to. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have the privilege of being able to do work, um stay where you're needed yeah.
0: yeah even though even though we're tired
2: it's exhausting it's really exhausting but um
1: but and it's it, important it's
0: an, an yeah that's what i was gonna and it's fulfilling <laughs> at the end of the day i think you know or
1: if you have the privilege to move anywhere you want and you have to move move to north or south dakota because it doesn't take very many of you to swing the entire (laughs) politics of the state because the population is so small yeah start a commune in a a very small yes sparsely populated state how how many queer political meetings have i been in where that's come up as an idea let's all set something up in south dakota and we can just take over the state
0: i just couldn't live in the snow better have
1: the lesbians with you
2: i yeah. would
0: i would i would i would follow you there but I, oh, no snow. i can't do snow either
1: That's snow the problem. is so
0: hard for me yeah. i'd rather be in 120 degrees than snow
1: yes
2: i
0: yeah. can oh. somehow deal okay and
2: part of this whole thing is like this is the backlash of progress right so people are going to be louder when actual progress is happening like the world is changing for the better mm-hmm. and um and this hate and fear rhetoric that um, political parties are pushing forward is as, as a direct result of yeah. of the fact that we are actually making so many gains.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on my soapbox for a second.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I I truly believe that the reason why trans youth are being attacked as viciously as they are is because they know that if parents feel safe enough to affirm their child that visibility, even in its smallest form, in a classroom, will start to happen. And if you can create safe spaces for kindergarten trans youth, that that kindergartner goes to first through K, first through 12th grade, right? And then goes off to college and builds strong ties in their classroom and their school, that all of a sudden we're going to change bias. And it's true. It's true, proximity changes hearts. I say that over and over again. And so if you if you target kids so that kids and families don't feel safe to come out in their envi- in their school environments, you're stopping progress because you're stopping other people getting to know that diversity exists in their world. And yeah. and, and and that's in all forms, right? Wherever you right. wherever you try to stop diversity, uh, whether that's through redlining or through whatever programming occurs um where whiteness is se- white cis het is centered, then yes, that's what you're you're ensuring that white white cis het un- uh, stays the centered norm, you know, and so that's why they're pu- that's why they're targeting kids so badly. I mean they just they can't imagine <laughs> allowing families to live safely. Because that right. would totally change their world and change the values of their kids who are going to be like, well, Daniel in my third grade class is really amazing. And I like playing with him. You know, mm-hmm. so.
1: And if you make the classroom safe, for one end up making it safe for all of them. And then yeah. who knows what will happen if they're oh all gosh. free to be exactly who they want to be.
0: Yeah. <laughs> free to be you and me. <laughs> yeah.
2: I didn't say that that as
0: eloquently as I wanted to but
2: no that was perfect I think that you're really right the other part of it that is that like if a child can have a stress-free education imagine all the places that they're going to be able to go with that education the more you disrupt kids who sit outside the white cis hetero dominant norm right Mm -hmm. that but that are um we're actually able to thrive um thrive and receive a safe education I mean, imagine the places that those people will go. Absolutely. You know, those, I'm just thinking about even the handful of, like, amazingly brilliant, talented trans people who've persevered beyond all to be, like, incredibly well-articulated leaders of our movement and, like, yeah. times 100 if we had all of that because kids were able to actually have their childhood. Um Yeah.
0: But that's how racism works too, right? With like skipping away education and the ability to be, to economically thrive. So,
2: exactly.
0: Okay, we've gone into deep, and I told you, (laughs) I said this earlier like when I first met you, we immediately had deep talks. And so we've had, you've taken us into the deep around gender (laughs) and race and all the things. So, before we have to go, we always ask, what are three easy ways to be an ally? Like if somebody's like, I'm going to be an ally today, what are three easy things they can do?
2: I think they can speak up. I think that they can, should always be curious, um, but you don't, even if you think you're on the side of what's right, always be curious to learning more, uh, to learn more about everything. And, um, they can forgive themselves that's what I would say to an ally should, uh, should definitely understand that part of, part of allyship is not getting it right but it's always showing up and um, being able to humble yourself but like also don't be stymied in like shame um, because something you said or did wasn't exactly the right thing
0: yes and, and then our, our last is who inspires you this week.
2: You know who inspires me this week? Um, is I, am I allowed to talk about another podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I listen to Jonathan Van that's getting curious podcast. Um, huh. I think that he's a really good example. Uh, they're a really good example of, um, allyship because they, they literally bring so many different kinds of people and they ask questions that I think everybody wants to ask, but doesn't want to feel dumb. Um, about a lot of different things and um they brought on ashley marie preston who is a black trans woman that i believe is based out of la she was an editor one of the first uh, black trans editors of a publication and also um started a non-profit like grassroots um group recently called you are essential she also is is notably famous for like about three years ago yelling at Caitlyn jenner when she went to a trans chorus Concert <laughs> for supporting Donald Trump um, and telling her that we're all ashamed of her <laughs> in the trans community. Um, and she gave a really, really great podcast, um, and it was like just so brilliant, um, talking about grassroots organizing and like what we're up against and how how to do better. And it just like blew my mind. And so I've just been like really into her this week, like trying to find articles she's written and things like that.
0: Follow her on Instagram because she uh-huh. talks all the time about. She's brilliant to do, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, and I like knew her. You know, it's one of those things where like I knew that thing with Caitlyn Jenner I had heard about, but I just like putting them all together and having her talk about stuff. It was like just mind blowing. Yeah,
0: honestly, she's the reason why the Blossom and I moment occurred. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, because she was not let into the. I don't know what happened that she wasn't able to get into the town hall, and she began tweeting and tweeting, and that's who. Blossom was like reading that. That's how the conversation began on Twitter. Right. Uh, why aren't we being seen? Why do they keep talking about black trans women? But nobody's up there. She was really outspoken on Twitter that, that afternoon because it was the afternoon for us. Um, yeah. And then it was like full circle me and Blossom. On CNN. That's so.
2: that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, she's a force. She had so many good things to say in that particular podcast about nonprofits and like um, their survival rates when they're small and and um, any ethics of these giant giant nonprofits.
0: I'm gonna have to listen to it since we're in that tiny nonprofit world
2: yeah yeah it was really <laughs> like
0: the whole really board useful. has to listen to it, apparently. Uh-huh, like,
2: yeah, it really like helped me understand where we are and and when we're having conversations with other nonprofits, where they are, and like how to respond as such
1: <laughs> so.
0: And Drew, who's your uh inspiring person this week?
1: Okay, I am going to take this to an interesting place. I love it. That you're like, really? That's who inspires you? So I, this morning, I was reading through my Facebook, as I do, and I was on the Sheepadoodle Obsession Facebook page that I has pictures of Sheepadoodles. Don't judge. And um... Um, and um someone had posted something that said homosexuality is an abomination. Um, Her name is Charm. I don't remember the last name, but sometimes I was like, that's really not the right name. So I was like, oh my gosh, that shouldn't be here. I'm going to have to report that. So I reported it. And then I go down to the comments. I was like, oh wow, there's a lot of comments. By the time it got taken down, there were 500 comments, of which probably 498 were positive. And saying, why would you post that? Or that's wrong. Or... Um, my sheep, even though I'm not gay, my sheep-a-doodle is, and, <laughs> <laughs> okay. and it just was, it really inspired me, uh, to keep looking beyond when there's, um, someone doing something hateful to see how other people are reacting mm-hmm. and to, um, um, I don't know, to just look for the good guys in those situations because there were good guys. Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: Allyship on Facebook.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sheepadoodles gay. I love that. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so my person I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one to do the normal one, but Gavin Grimm won his fourth circuit he won at the fourth circuit again. I don't know, I mean, I guess we're just gonna have to wait if Gloucester County appeals it and then it gets kicked up to the Supreme Court, right? Is that how it works, I think? Um, But I say Gavin Grimm, and I mean, Gavin Grimm and him as a person for taking that on, the bathroom case, and taking it on for as long as he has because he now doesn't even, he's not in high school anymore um yeah. but also all the trans youth that really really navigate nasty school systems um the, it's proof that they're resilient but they shouldn't have to be um i have a a good friend who her daughter um the school divided the the water fountains into boy and girl and told her that her trans daughter couldn't drink out of the girl fountain. And so she has to provide water bottles to the nurse's office so that her daughter can go get water bottles to drink water during the day. Um, the but, girl fountain? Yes. The irony. I know it's Texas. Wow. So uh. I think people don't even realize really how awful it can get in certain school districts when there is just like one trans child there. Um and the discrimination and bias that they face and when you see young people like Gavin Grimm take that and become like the fierce advocates that they end up becoming because they have to they're forced to advocate for themselves it's always inspiring because I think so many people sit in comfort and don't push and so i'm always inspired when when kids are like no that's not right um my friend who i spoke about she's been watching the gavin Grimm case for a long time because that that will impact how she can move forward with pushing for her daughter's rights um and so yeah that's who inspires me this week
2: awesome yeah that's really it's a good one
0: so I know, Drew. You have another call. I'm sad.
1: Discussing stuff with my union.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay. but thank you so much, and We'll have to bring you back because oh, yeah. we did oh, we you. did deep talks.
2: <laughs> yeah, a deep dish.
0: A deep dish. We dived into <laughs> it all. But thank you for nice. being here. Thank,
2: thank you so much for having you.
0: me. Okay. Goodbye. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.